So, uh, Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might be, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Um, this is our fourth and last sermon in this series today. So next week we'll start a new, new thing. But we've centered ourselves around these verses or this, this little passage, remembering that everybody or everyone is being equipped for ministry, right? All of us, from first breath to last and everything in between, no matter who you are or what you do or your past or present circumstances, we are the church of God. We are the people of God. We are the very real body of Christ, the flesh and blood body of Christ, in a sense, in a flesh and blood world, impacted and also intertwined with a very real spiritual reality, something that we're all kind of understanding and growing into. Um, We are the imperfect people that a perfect God uses to bring his kingdom of healing and peace to others in the world. You know, ordinary folks with extraordinary knowledge and power. That's that is the truth. So we are God's people being equipped for service, as this passage says, building up the body of Christ, attaining unity in faith, uh, growing in the knowledge of Jesus, becoming mature, moving towards fullness in Christ. And that's a big order, right? And now in all that, we can't expect that each of our ministries will look like the next guys. That, that, this is not unhealthy comparison, Right? Um, Vinny's ministry is not better than mine. My ministry is not better than his. Mine is not better than Dick's or uh, Kathleen's or anybody's. We all all have our uniqueness, right? Uh, Everybody gets to play, so to speak. That's the title of this whole series. We all have different parts. We have different vocations. We have different callings. We have different personalities, which are all meaningful to God and reveal his heart to the world in unique ways. And we get to speak to different people in different ways. And in this process, though, uh, it does include watching and learning from examples around us, right? Looking for people whose experience is compelling to us, that is challenging to us, maybe. Being around them, watching how they live. People that we are discipled by, in a sense, right? Right? And we see this in Acts 4.13, just in a little snippet, it says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished as they took note that these men had been with Jesus. So seeing Peter and John doing the work of the kingdom, people all around there were astonished and impressed. So in... You know, in life right now, is there someone, anyone that you know who's been doing this Jesus thing, who's been walking with Jesus for a long time, people that you, you, that, that you see doing kingdom work, you know, kingdom life, and, and from whom you might learn? It's a great question. Surround yourself with those kinds of people, in other words. That's one reason we value older folks, older people. Not just because of their age, but because they have walked with Jesus longer, old in age, old in faith, right? 
who've not just grown old, but they've actually grown up in the faith as they've grown old. They've grown in depth. Not spiritual giants, that's not what we're talking about. But just regular good people, right? Regular good people who have been in the presence of Jesus for a long time, obedient to the Word, listening to the Spirit, exhibiting Jesus' ministry to others for us. And even if they came to Christ at an older age, uh, they have life experience. They have a lot of life experience. And I imagine they, if, they, if you asked them, they would be able to see the finger of God in their life long before they ever made the decision to follow Him. Just more than a year ago, I, I forget exactly when we started, but we began praying that God would round out our age at 6-8, that we were a little too young. We're not, we have no, it's not, we never set out to be the young, cool church. And like, that's not in our heart at all. We want to be a church. So we set out to pray that God would round out our age at 6, 8. And he's seen fit to do that. He really has. Because we need examples, right? We need to be rounded out. Not that older folks are perfect, but but because they haven't been. They're not perfect. So they've made their mistakes so that possibly we don't have to make them or at least we don't have to make them as badly, right? But it's not only their mistakes that we learn from. It's also their ministry successes. Their spiritually formative habits that they've put in place because they've learned that life works best when we walk with Jesus closely, listening to the directive voice of the Word spirit together that we learn from their experience their stories and and their wisdom that they've gleaned over the years but this is not just about faithful older people right there there are those among us who uh, at younger ages have really walked with jesus quite well right and they've become for us models of ministry to emulate as well, we, we, we value these people. So this isn't an age thing. This is not about being older and all that kind of stuff. It's a faith and spiritual formative thing. Looking for the people that have really put their heart and mind to walking with Jesus. So we're simply looking for people to learn from who willingly sit in His presence, emulating ministry over time, Right? George Barna, evangelical sociologist and researcher, said that 60 to 70% of life or behavioral change in people is based upon uh, their finding someone in their life that they love and they trust and they, they, they emulate in, in what they do, that they watch what they do and then they, they imitate their behavior, right? So it's a very important to have great models. And it's very important to lay down our pride and be willing to walk with somebody and follow them and listen to their lead. You know, it is very fun right now in my role as pastor to watch the process of spiritual formation happen in this church to take place in all of our lives, mine included. I get to watch people as they hone their spiritual gifts. They, they take risks in ministry with others over the years. And it, sometimes that takes years just building people up. Well, actually, it always takes years building people up. We've changed very slowly, right? 
Now I get to watch as your kids come up, hearing what they're saying and hearing what they're doing for the sake of the kingdom of God. I hear teaching points regurgitated, words spoken by spiritual mentor, right? Now used by spiritual mentee in ministry to others. Trainee become trainer, disciplee becoming discipler. That's exciting to me. And what we're building is now overflowing in discipleship relationships all around us as it should. It's exactly how it should be working. So I said to Father Ian this week, you know, it's such a fun time at 6-8 to see the body of Christ ministering to each other, this body, this local church, ministering to each other, and also ministering to people outside of our church. We're actually really doing that stuff. It's just too much fun. To hear that, hear these things and see it all happen. It's a blessing to see all that take shape as we attain the knowledge and the unity and the maturity and the fullness of Christ walking together. And we simply want more and more and more of that, right? Sitting in the presence of Jesus together, taking up his mantle mantle of kingdom ministry, um, all that work that, that needs to be done as we walk this out. Because in listening to Acts 4.13, we quickly understand what made these disciples extraordinary in their ordinary lives. It wasn't their education. They were unschooled guys. They were fishermen. Things like that. It wasn't their wealth or their social or political status or power. They were ordinary guys. It was the fact that they had been in the presence of Jesus. And that fact alone... Now, this is probably the most important thing that we say today. That fact alone made them special, right? Something about Jesus had rubbed off on these people. People could sense the presence of Christ coming from these guys because they had sat in his presence. You also have that opportunity, (laughs) right? We had a meeting this past Tuesday night with the Elan... um, this couple from Connecticut, from the Vineyard, who are helping us to establish a spiritual mentor program at 6-8. And it's a program which people are trained to be spiritual mentors, a process uh, sort of to experience and learn formative practices and the spiritual habits of those who have walked a little longer and more closely with Jesus Uh, you know, they help us to hear the voice of God in our lives. They help us to discern that stuff. They, they, you know, um, I don't know, the Lord's leading, what he's doing, where he's going, where he's taking us so that we can engage with Jesus more readily. And so we're, we're training a, a healthy group of people to be able to walk with people and do that. Right. See, faith and ministry are legacies that we pass on to our children and also those that are coming up behind us, either in age or in newness of faith. This is what we do. And as we identify very compelling people, people that we notice are walking with Jesus, we need to ask them to show us how to do ministry. Maybe directly, or maybe we just get around them and start soaking it up without even asking, right? Whatever. In John 11, Jesus is told about Lazarus who was sick. It simply says, now a man named Lazarus was sick. And he's from the village of Mary and her sister Martha, right? And we, we know that Jesus did lots of other miracles and healed a lot of other people. 
But remembering last week that Jesus is about doing the Father's business, that that's what he was always about doing. Following the Father's lead, he chooses to go back to Lazarus' hometown, even, the, even though that place was a very real threat to him. And he waits a couple days. I think he waits two days to go back before, you know, before returning there. And in that span, Lazarus dies. And you know the story. Jesus returns and he raises Lazarus from the dead. You know, the disciples wanted to learn from Jesus. We read in past weeks that they asked him to teach them how to pray. But Jesus not only taught them how to pray, he took them along as he healed people or as he, you know, all these, you know, healed the sick. He fed the 5,000 with a few loaves and fish and all that kind of stuff. And even in this case, he raised the dead. Take risks, right? Try new ways of ministry. One thing I've noticed in my walk with Christ that it never, once I think I've figured it out, I haven't figured it out. Right? There's something more to learn. There's something more to always challenge me and take me farther in ministry towards others. So come alongside those doing ministry. Tag along as they do it. And I think that you're going to find out that they are really eager to share Jesus with you. Right? They are really excited about it. I, for one, am trying to, find, trying to develop new habits that I've seen in others, like praying for people on the spot when, whenever the Spirit leads me. You know, in restaurants and shopping malls and stores or whatever. I prayed for a woman, uh, the, the hostess at Tango Restaurant the other day. She's like just telling me all these. I don't know why. She just started telling me all these issues with her life and her family relationships and all this stuff. And I just grabbed her by the hand and I said, can I pray for you right now? And I just prayed over her. And man, she was just moved by that. And I imagine people standing around me watching. That, that doesn't happen. That's not normal, right? That, that's what I'm trying to do. Whenever I get into you know, and the Spirit nudges me, I want to say yes to the Spirit's lead. I want, to, I want to say, can I pray for you right now and then do it, right? I don't want to make that a habitual part of my lifestyle, what I do. Uh, I, I, I want to be able to, you know, in my mind's eye, I always have it trained to listen to the Spirit's lead and also to take action when I hear it and becoming less concerned about myself and the details of my life and much more concerned about the details of what God is doing right in front of me and somebody else. That's what I want. You know, when I was a younger Christian, uh, I remember... <laughs> And I think we can all relate to this. I remember how odd it was to pray out loud in a Bible study. Right? Am I right? Say amen. Amen. It is weird. It is very weird. I mean, you're speaking to the ceiling, you know, that kind of stuff. What do you, like, it's just so strange. Or when I pray, when Tony Melvin, the guy, my first discipler, my original guy that discipled me, would say, let's pray about this right now, sitting in the car in, my, in front of my house. You know, and he would actually do it. He, he would pray over me, and then he would expect me to also pray, and all that kind of stuff. That was just strange. I was, it was so out of the ordinary. It was so awkward. It was so intimate. It was so unnerving for me to do that. But I learned from guys like Tony. I learned from them how to practice my faith in ministry to, towards others. And I began to do that with other people. 
And then as I got older, I fell into that trap that I think the Christian subculture where we say, I'll pray for you. And then we walk away, leaving opportunity behind and never really praying for somebody. Right? I'll pray for you. Until later in life, God got me around more people that, who prayed for people at the drop of the hat, and especially the vineyard, which is, it habitually practices this question, can I pray for you right now? When you, when you go to com- vineyard conferences and stuff like that, that question comes out. You'll see it in literature and all that kind of stuff. It is a habit that we are trying to foster in the vineyard, just being willing to pray for anybody on the spot. Or Christians who have, have willingly, when I've been around them, prayed over the sick, and, you know, right in the moment, unembarrassingly, like, just prayed over somebody and actually seen healing at times, uh, you know, occur as a result. It's powerful. That's powerful stuff. It makes a big difference. And I need those people in my life who've walked with Jesus, teaching me the basics, modeling, pro- providing opportunity for me to get past fear and insecurity. Forcing me into an environment where I have to think beyond myself into the real needs of others and what God might be doing in their lives right in the moment. To step out into the risk of active, powerful faith where I have to trust God that He's going to actually meet me in that moment. And if it doesn't feel like He did, to be okay with it. Right? We want a church culture here at 6A which lives in risky faith like this. Never taking the safe road, but stepping out for the sake of kingdom life and others. It takes time to get there. For some of us, it, you know, we're not ready to get right there yet. It takes time. That's okay. That is okay. I need to say that out loud, right? But in this kingdom life, we have to realize that we have to be ready to give it all away. It's a big issue we've we've been spectators of jesus as he's been willing to do this in the process of his life as he, we read his anguished words in luke twenty two forty two, it says father remember he's facing the cross he's going to go die for us right and he says father if you're willing take this cup from me yet not my will but yours be done that's impressive i went to kim and i both went to a sort of a semi-silent retreat at the Malvern Retreat House, which is a Catholic retreat center. Uh, it was run by the Elanders. We just rented the place and used their space. And, and they have like, I don't know, four or five different stations of the cross, different, like with different imagery. You know, some are, some are statuary, some are, you know, uh, tile work or whatever. And I've always liked the stations of the cross. And we, we walked through and I saw all those things and... Um, you know, just watching how Jesus, you know, willingly went to the cross for us was, was pretty powerful. But you remember, his, his first and foremost concern was always to do the Father's will. To, that the Father's will would be carried out in his life and in the lives of people around him. Even when it meant his excruciating death. That's crazy. I would have bagged out at that point. <laughs> I would have said, ah, maybe not that far. But people like Stanley Albert Dale, if you, one of my favorite missionary stories, he, he lived to this end. Stanley Albert Dale was just a cool guy, right? 
He gave his life taking the gospel to a cannibalistic tribe or a few cannibalistic tribes in Irian Jaya in Indonesia. Tribes who worshipped this spirit called Kembu who kept them in a state of fear and in warfare all the time. And Stanley arrived, when he first got there, he arrived right in the middle of a war between two tribes in the middle of a valley. And being the guy that he was, just this fearless dude, he just walks right in the middle of the warfare, putting up his hands, basically telling them to stop. And they put down their spears and their bows and arrows that day and they made peace. And after four years in that valley, he saw hundreds of these these tribesmen come to Christ. And then he approached another tribe over the mountains, I think he went. and, And in his first and only encounter with this cannibalistic tribe, they shot him with more than 60 arrows. And he just stood there preaching the gospel, pulling the arrows out of his body and letting them fall to the ground. Amen, that's a man I want to be, right? Gosh, every guy in here is like, dude, I want to do that. You know, right? It's like riding a motorcycle at 120 miles an hour. Just, oh, that's, that's, that is life right there. I, you know, it sounds crazy, but we love that adventure. We love these stories. He died that day. He died, and they dismembered his body because they were afraid he was going to get up again. <laughs> And they spread them all over the place. But although they killed him, his witness was extremely powerful to them. They were in awe of him. So years later, when a missionary boy was found uh, by one one of his murderers in a plane crash, the pilot died. This little boy was being taken someplace who was a son of a missionary family. And they found him alive in the plane crash, um, this tribesman rescued him because he thought Stanley had died with such honor and such bravery that he wanted to hear that message. (laughs) He was so intrigued. And that little boy was the foothold. As his presence with them, they had to wait until other people came to rescue that little boy and it opened the way for other missionaries to come in and bring the gospel to that tribe and they experienced the saving life of Christ too. So with people like Stanley, we stand confident that God's promises remain even in the face of death, right? The same God who blessed Abraham and Isaac and Jacob will continue to bless the church because it's not about us. It is not about us. It's about Jesus. We don't do ministry to make ourselves look good or make life better for ourselves and all that kind of stuff. That's not why we do it. We do it to bring glory to Christ by way of the sacrifice of our own lives. Living out His promises under the blessing of, of grace. That's a good story, isn't it? Now, I doubt any of you are going to get to the point where you have, you're going to get shot with 60 arrows and give your life for Jesus and be dismembered and thrown all over the place. At worst, you might experience a little rejection. Can I pray for you right now? No, heck no. I've had that happen, I think, once. A little rejection, that's it. You live in a pretty safe place. But these people, even from afar, are an encouragement to our hearts. Stanley Albert Dale, my friend still working over in Indonesia that I work side by side with, when their kids get threatened to be kidnapped, but they stay. (laughs) 
One of my best friends, his two little girls, almost got kidnapped. But he stayed. For someone to be an example to us, you know, it can even just be through reading about their lives or reading their their directions or hearing about them third person. Stories abound, right? It doesn't just have to be somebody right in this room. It can be, like right now, I just ordered Dallas Willard's new book, Life 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 Without Lack. I love Dallas Willard's words. Dallas Willard disciples me. I've never met the guy. I've never touched him. I've never talked to him. But his words disciple me. They, they change me. They help me. As I watch him walking with Jesus through his words, I get fed by that. So we notice as Jesus sent out the 12 in Luke 9, and then he sends out the 72 in Luke 10 to preach the kingdom and heal the sick, as we've looked at in past weeks, he restricted them on what to bring. Right? Although it's not a prescriptive thing for ministry for us, you know, to go without all this stuff uh, for all of ministry, right? Maybe it is a mental image as to what a person living the kingdom life will naturally become. And that is a person that is less concerned with creature comforts. Less attached to things which they falsely relied on for identity before. In their past. Less concerned with self and more concerned with Jesus' message of peace and reconciliation and healing among people. Because kingdom-minded Christians become more enamored with Jesus' ministry as they delve deeper into relationship with Jesus. People living in open vulnerability with others because they're not afraid. And in deep trust in Christ in all things spiritual and all things physical. Suddenly, you know, that, you know they, they, they just live in an abandon. Kingdom advancement trumps self-preservation. Trump's not a great word to use these days, I guess. I mean it in the old sense. Kingdom advancement trumps self-preservation, right? Not in an unhealthy, fanatical way. I'm not saying that. But in a deep conviction of what is a real biblical worldview pushing out all things that are contrary to it. Walking with Jesus. False views of finances, lifestyle, sexuality, etc. and so on and so forth. All are reordered as they come under obedience to Jesus' created order and we find peace and freedom in all of that. We find real, true peace and freedom. The pressures of career subside as prestige and worldly power become less important to us. We really don't care anymore about all that junk. Sexuality becomes a worshipful experience instead of some false identity driven by only self-gratification. Money and career become seen for what they truly are. Maybe meaningful opportunities, maybe ways of sharing the gospel with others, but definitely very real means to sustain do ministry, do kingdom ministry. We need our money. Money's a spiritual issue. We need it to keep moving and keep going on. We're not apologetic about that. We need good work. We need to be around other people and have interactions with them. And, and sometimes our jobs allow that, right? Even relationships take proper perspective as we become reliant on the perfect nature of Jesus instead of, of, of the imperfect nature of other people. 
And that's when relationships become healthy since we're not striving to get something that we, we can't really get from other people, but we're finding it in Jesus. That's powerful. When we bask in the presence of Jesus, all the pressure of the world is taken off of relationships since we're not manipulating each other to get what we think we need from human interaction. And by the way, that's, I think, what this book, Life Without Lack by Dallas Willard, is all about. If you want to get it, be good. You won't, you won't be regret it, right? So the fear of man released. The power of sinful behavior sort of abolished, sabled. Binding insecurities broken as the Spirit overtakes all we are, bringing us deeper into the understanding of the Word and our role in the kingdom. Jesus and His disciples throughout history have always had to be ready to give everything they had and loved for the Gospel. Likewise, we do. The twelve disciples gave all they had, all but one, I think, were martyred for their faith. God is with you, always. God is with you even when you're giving your all is very, very hard. The Stations of the Cross talk about suffering, the suffering of Christ, and how we enter into that suffering. Evangelicals don't talk like that too, too well. We need to talk about that a little bit more because it's meaningful and it's good. Even when you're suffering, there is a beauty. You're connected with Jesus and it's meaningful. As you give of yourself, not only will you be taken care of, you will be blessed immeasurably. That's a promise. As you're carried on to completion in Christ, Philippians 1.6, Right? Galatians 3.28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave or free, nor there is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Levels the playing field. Right? Racism gone. Differences don't matter. Think you're disqualified from playing? Think you're disqualified or somebody else is disqualified from doing kingdom life? You think you're not smart enough, you're not good enough, you're not talented enough, you're not gifted enough, or any of that, and that's not true. Think again. We are all one in Christ, and He has unique things for each of us to do, no matter your age, you know, no matter your station in life, anything. He includes you in this kingdom life, this kingdom ministry. Because we're all being built up. Until we reach the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, becoming mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Jesus. That's exciting to me. As John Wimber said, the test of spiritual maturity is the ability to love God and others, learning to serve others by loving the unlovely, the less fortunate, the lost, and the broken. This is the highest call. Let me pray for us. Father, we want to be about this ministry. We want, despite our fears, despite our insecurities, despite our voices in our heads, the old tapes playing in our heads, telling us that we're not good enough or anything like that, all those lies, we pray that you would silence those things. And despite their past influence, we pray that you would let us turn towards you 
and focus our heart and our mind on your face, your visage, that it would create strength in us and strengthen our hearts, that we would be filled with your word, filled with your spirit, and that that would move us out to selfless love and compassion for the poor, for the broken, for just other people around us, that we would start to look for opportunity to do kingdom ministry with people right around us, that we would be willing to pray for healing even if it may not happen, or pray for uh, just somebody's desires or whatever they're telling us about, even though we just met them, or we're standing in a crowded place, or it feels weird. We pray that you would start to nudge us, Lord Jesus to do the one great thing this week at least, that it would be, we, we, each one of us in this room would take a baby step in this process this week because everybody gets to play and we thank you for that. We thank you for all that.